Welcome to People's Church Podcast with Pastor Nelson Jones. We're going to go at a scripture today that um, is really cool. <laughs> I like it. It's Peter who uh, is uh, the one that God used to write this. It comes from 1 Peter. And we're going to talk about uh, the Lord knows and then slash you did choose, you chose. And we're going to take a look at a scripture that I think can be great for comfort for us and strength for us and maybe a little sobering for us. And, uh, but let's just read it to start with 2 Peter 2, 9. It says, these things show that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials and how to keep the unrighteous for punishment on the judgment day. It's kind of like a very much get to the point kind of a verse. And if you read the entire book of 1 Peter, but that which comes before he says this, you'll find that he's describing throughout history that uh, the readers are more uh, aware of that simply that God rescued here, God rescued here, and here's what, how God rescued this person here. And then he'll go into the judgment side and say, see, this is God. He takes seriously your choice and he is also one that knows how to hold the unrighteous for the punishments on judgment day. So we want to break it down, take a little bit, but the first words that I want you to pick up on are words that I have, I don't know, innumerable times, quote to myself, innumerable, daily probably at least. And it, it, it's these Three words that just says this, the Lord knows. You know, in those words, those are either like, wow, am I ever glad he knows? Or it can be, ooh, the Lord knows. It's in what context that you are going to put it. And we want to just kind of take it as believers in Christ and say, what does that mean to you that the Lord knows? The Lord knows. It's a threatening thing. By the way, that's the basis of all prophecy. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. You don't know. Never try and be the Lord in prophecy. The Lord knows. And so when it comes to everything about you, he knows. There's nothing that he doesn't know. It's called his omniscience. He literally knows everything. So the Lord knows all about the trials of your life. As a believer, he knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. You know, a lot of times we are always devising our own rescue plans. When we go through trials, and sometimes we don't understand that these trials are actually God-designed and that these are things that God needs in your life for you to become like his son, Jesus. That he can change you. Trials are not the thing that, that are saying, well, this didn't come from God. When you go through things that seem to be so completely out of the realm of God, go back to these three words. The Lord knows. Have you ever gone through trials where you wonder, do you know? Do you see? Are you in this? Where are you? Why am I experiencing this? Why would you allow this into my life? The Lord knows. The Lord knows is a complete statement. But for the believer, he knows, what does he know? Well, we have the specific right there, how to rescue the godly. He knows how to rescue the godly. You know, he's saying like, if you make the kind of choices in life that are those obedient choices, those choices that are even obedience and repentance when you get off trail, then you know you repent, you get on trail again. That's a step of obedience. You return to obedience. The Lord knows how to rescue you from trials. Much of your time when you hit trials is devising your own rescue plans and designing how you're gonna get out of it. I don't know about you, but I usually have to go through about three scenarios before I finally get to the point of recognizing and saying the Lord knows how to rescue. He's got the plan. He has a plan to deliver you from the trial. Now, 
our plans often get completely in the way and it's when we start acting like God in the middle of the trials because we treat them wrong. We think that somehow we've come into this trial in our family. We've come into this trial in our marriage. We've come into this trial in our business. We've come into this trial in our personal economics. We've come into this trial. Somehow we have to be the ones that get us out of it. What we are missing is that that trial is something the Lord knows. Absolutely, completely, he knew it was coming. He's got design and plan, he's allowed it. In the story of Job, we have an interesting situation. Here we have Job, that his basic response to God did come on to this particular phrase, the Lord knows. He had three friends show up. They're absolutely convinced that this guy is just the, just a guy that blew it. He's hiding his sin. God has allowed all this because of sin in his life. And Job is saying, I never did it. I am not somebody who's got this hidden sin in my life. And so they're going there and they're saying, oh, we know, Job, that you must have this. Now at the end, they really take the brunt of discipline from God, uh, those three friends because they did not know what God knew. The Lord knew what he was doing. The whole story of Job starts off with the Satan coming and, and God saying, hey, do you see my amazing servant Job there? I mean, he's amazing. Look at this guy. Like, I mean, he, he loves me deeply. He does, he's just got all the math going for him. And Satan says, yeah, except you've really hedged him in and protected him. You've kept them from some realities of trial. So God allowed trial. The trial of Job's heart. And Job was tried deeply. And aren't you glad he's in the scriptures? Because no matter the depth of the trial you're in, Job's trial will go deeper in many senses. He loses everything. You know the story. There's nothing left untouched so that he has gone through this amazing deep trial and now we have a journey of him wrestling with, but the Lord knows. I know you know, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but all in all, he trusted God through the whole thing. To trust God when you don't know, but he knows, is hard. God knows why he allowed that trial in your heart right now. He understands what you're going through. He already knows this trial in advance. Now, he doesn't always share that knowledge with you. He doesn't say, here is why it's going on. He may never share with you why he allowed trials in your life. Why did you take that loss? Why did your family take the hit? Why did your business go through that? You may never know. He's not asking you to know. He might not share that piece of information with you. He did not share it with Job. He said to Job, do you realize who I am? Were you there, Job, when I went and set the foundations of the earth and of creation? Were you there when I spanned out the oceans, Job? Were you there, Job, when I did these things? He just reassessed and reaffirmed for Job, saying, Job, I want you to trust me without knowledge of why I do what I do. The Lord knows how to rescue. Actually, when you think you do know how to rescue, step back from that moment. Because you might not be on point. And you want to make it a faith journey trusting what God knows, not some kind of anxiety-driven kind of journey in which you are trying to gain the knowledge so that you can somehow rescue the trial. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. Here we have so many stories like this. We have a story, for instance, of Abram. Abram had received his son of promise. He's 100 years old. She's 90 when they get Isaac. And they have Isaac, and then about a dozen years into this thing of celebrating that God had blessed them finally, with what they had waited for, put their faith in, and the whole purpose of their life. And God says, take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him there. 
This is one of the hardest scriptures to come to terms with because it's for God to actually ask a father to do that to a son, but not just a son, but to the very core of the relationship and promises that the father has lived out with God. You know the story probably. He takes his son up there and he's about to sacrifice him. God intervenes and stops him just at the last moment. The knife is in his hand. He's ready. The the, the son is bound up as a sacrifice on the altar and it's all ready to go. And just as the knife is about to plunge, he interrupts the process and said, stop, Abram. Because the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trial. Even the very trials that he has caused or allowed because he pulled the hedge up a little bit. Because he didn't save you from everything in the world that's gonna touch your life. In that particular moment, when Abraham ceases, he did it, we learn in the story. And it's recorded more in Hebrews than actually at the time. But that the Lord knows. The Lord knew, and Abram knew, that the Lord had a rescue plan for the trial. If he had to raise the boy from the dead, he would do it. If God would always be sure to his promise, he would never go back on his word. He knew that, and that's what caused that kind of deep obedience on his part. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. The Lord knows when you live in a world like Lot did, In Sodom and Gomorrah, he refers to it in the same scriptures just before this. When you're living in a world that like Lot was in the city that was filled with just ever increasing kind of ungodliness and and the lusts of flesh that had so taken over the city and how amazingly self-centered that people have become in that particular element. When you live in that and you are a righteous person and that vexing of your soul that every day you're exposed to the kind of corruptions that come when man gets to such a debased state. but the Lord knows how to rescue. So he rescues him and two daughters. His wife doesn't want to be rescued. He rescues them from even that. The Lord rescues. He has a rescue plan. What trial are you in that you don't have a knowledge about why it's happening, why it's been allowed? You don't know where it kind of come from. You have tried to analyze this thing upside down. You have gone right, left on this. You have taken it to the depths of your understanding as best you could, and you come up with zero. I don't get it. I don't get why that happened. I don't get why this was part of the journey. I don't get it. You getting it is not the rescue plan. You having faith and trusting the Lord knows is the key part of the whole deal. God's asking you for faith, not your understanding of everything you go through. Somehow we think if we understand why this happened to us that we can devise a rescue plan and correct things. You can even know why something happened. You still don't have the power to change something. The Lord knows. Have you ever had, you know, this kind of breakdown in a relationship but you know in your heart you've handled this thing pretty well and you just say to yourself, the Lord knows. The Lord knows, Lord, here's my heart. If you need to challenge it, do some things, do it. But you know, you know. The Lord knows. The the Lord knows those deep interactions in your life. Uh, He really knows about the depth that others don't see. You may not even have this kind of assurance in yourself. The Lord knows. Am I godly, Lord? The Lord knows. You see, godliness is not perfection in the human. Uh, in the human, it is godliness is something that we are in a in a mode of sanctification. We are working God's perfect word into our journey. 
More or less, he is working his perfect word into our journey. It's a combination of the Holy Spirit and the word of God which come together to create these types of challenge and growth points in our life. And so when it comes to the Lord knows in your life, he's asking for faith. He's asking for you to trust when you don't know. And most trials are like that. These things show that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. But then it continues. Look at the last half of this verse. And how to keep the unrighteous for punishment on the judgment day. In another version, it will say unjust. Because this is a point of justice. God, justice puts it into a realm where if you don't have Christ and the blood of Christ that has cleansed you from your injustice, you stand alone in a state of injustice before a holy God. And he's saying in this point, he also knows how to hold that, more or less holding it is a good idea because you still get time. As long as you're breathing, He's saying, I'm holding this until the day of judgment. He knows how to hold you in a state of grace until the day in which you are going to make your choices. But then there's going to be a time of judgment that's going to come. In fact, Peter, who wrote this in, the, in a chapter, chapter 12 of Acts, if we went there, just put up my scriptures on the first ones on Acts there. And uh, this is a story, and I just put up a couple scriptures from this story. Peter is, the church is exploding. I mean, there's amazing things happen. Just in chapters before, he's raised a, a, a woman uh, from, from, dot, from death to life. Peter has. Um, this has been just such crazy growth and explosion. And Herod, King Herod, is, uh, he just had killed John the Baptist not long before this. And he's thinking, I'm going to be popular with the people if I kill Peter. So he arrests him. He takes him, puts him into prison, and his intent is to kill him. And so that night, the night before, God sends an angel, and an angel comes, and he rescues him. But there was a whole bunch of the believers praying at Mark's mother's house. And so as, as they were praying, God sends the angel, rescues him. He doesn't even really, he, the angel kicks him, wakes him up, gets him up, walks him right past the guards. The guards are there. He just walks them right past the guards. The gates open in front of them. He walks them outside the gates, and that's where the scripture picks, picks up. Peter doesn't even know what's going on. Then finally he says, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true. This is where God rescues the godly. And, he, and there's times that, you know what, you don't even know what's going on. He asks, uh, boot you, get you up on your feet, let's get out of this prison, let's go. And he leads you out and finally you're out. And he says, it's really true. He said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. They were planning to have him killed. So here we find that Peter's writing uh, about what he said about that he knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. He, he's writing, I've lived this. Over and over and over again. But then there's another part of this story. And we go to the next verse. And this is King Herod, the guy that was looking to take his life for political popularity. This guy's standing up giving a speech, as it's recorded just before this verse. He gives a great speech. And everybody, because King Herod would very, very cruel, cruel man. Uh, they, they didn't dare say anything about, oh man, this is amazing. This is a God speaking. That's what they actually said. I mean, it's just nothing but fluff. And, and, and so, and, and Herod's going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Now we pick it up with this verse. Immediately an angel from the Lord struck Herod down because he didn't give the honor to God. He was eaten by worms and he died. This is the second part. He knows how to keep the unrighteous for punishment on the judgment day. For Herod, his judgment day was right there. Bang. You see, God is the one that knows. The Lord knows whether you're godly. He knows whether you're ungodly. I'm not talking about you, uh, you know, as a Christian, uh, uh, you know, not, not, not having any kind of sin in your life. I'm talking about you as a Christian, not choosing 
to, to get up and keep going and move forward and trust God with rescue plans. To instead continue to live in, the, in, in your own lordship of I will devise every rescue plan for every trial that I go through. Those trials are God-oriented. You can't move it outside that. Otherwise, you are gonna miss out on what God is wanting to do in you, through you, through that trial. And you say, why trials? I don't know, but I do know this. Pain gets our attention far quicker and deeper than other things in our life that might be just nice little blessings. God uses these things. When it comes to the Lord knows, all through scripture, we find that great people of faith had to come to a point where they gave up their own rescue plans and they had to put their full trust into the Lord. Just trusting, you know, Lord. I don't see a way through it. I don't see a way out of it. I don't see how I can do this. And I don't even want to start down my own rescue plan anyway. So Lord, I'm starting with this. You know how to deliver the godly out of trial. So I'm going to focus on trust. I'm going to focus on just acknowledging you're in charge. Let you show me the way out. Let's go to another piece of scripture that's going to bring about the part of you chose. We must understand the power of the sovereignty that we bear. And this is found in Hebrews 11. It is uh, a few, a little snapshot of Moses' journey. And it starts by this. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months when he was born. If you know the story, you remember Pharaoh was killing all of the Jewish babies that were boys because he felt that there was too many and they were a threat now. And so out of his own insecurity, just like Herod, just like Herod, you find that he is getting all of the baby boys killed, thrown into the Nile. So his parents hide Moses because they saw that the child was beautiful and they weren't afraid of the king's orders. More or less, they would die just for hiding their own child. And it says, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was grown up. Let me give you a little insight. The story is Moses is put by his mother and father into a reed basket. Uh, it's got pitch. It floats down the Nile. They strategically know where Pharaoh's daughter is going to come and visit the river with her entourage. And you've got Miriam, his sister, older sister, watching over this basket. They see it from the shore. She instructs her servants to go get it. They bring the basket in. She opens it, and here's this cute little boy. And she knows. She knows. But what she doesn't know is what the Lord knows. And that the Lord has designed that she is going to take him to the palace. And he's going to be raised as Pharaoh's grandson. That's the case. And so what happens is that there came a time in his life where Moses had to choose something because he discovered his own, his own mother ended up being his nursemaid, by the way. He knew when he had grown up that he was actually a Jew that had been rescued and he had to make a choice. And he chose, it says, to be mistreated with God's people instead of having the temporary pleasures of sin. It's an interesting thing because it illustrates choice, choice by parents. They chose, put their lives at risk. And then we find Moses choosing, but he chose a couple different things. First off, he chose to refuse. When he grew up, when he became his own man, when he was old enough to stand on his own two feet, make his own choices, and he knew it couldn't be mom and dad's thing anymore, he chose something. And he chose to be known, literally, as a slave. He would not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know what he had given up in that one choice? 
Every power that you and all humankind can get so enraptured with, we all can. The power of pleasure, the power, the power literally to navigate our own way, the power that we would have every advantage, we would be turning every, every power that is pursued today by every person if we just went with those things, the worldly, the worldly things. He chose them to absolutely deny that that was gonna be the thing that would direct his life. And so what we find is that he made a choice to refuse. There are things that you're gonna have to choose to refuse. Refuse, for instance, to be your own God in delivering yourself from every trial that comes your way. Instead, become a person of faith that begins to really trust that God himself has these, brought these trials, allowed these trials, and you need to respond to him in faith. And that's why it says, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was grown up. And then he made a second choice. He chose to be mistreated with God's people instead of having the temporary pleasures of sin. So there was two, 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 we would say like two poles to this decision. One was what he gave up, which was, wow, how do you do that? And then the other was, he actually didn't choose to be neutral in this and now go live a comfortable life. He chose another pole, which was to be mistreated with God's people. Trials. He chose trials. He chose trials. And in choosing trials, what he was doing was choosing a life of faith that God knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. He'll do it. Let me give you three facts of life that we learn from Moses on this. Spiritual apron strings do not work. Key phrase, when he grew up. Here's a great sign of you growing up. The great sign of you growing up is that you're not just hanging on to the April strings of your parents. By the way, that goes for everything, but especially in faith. If you're still hanging on to the apron strings of your parents and you know you should be on your own two feet, when you need to actually get out there and do something, you need to own your situation. You need to take it into an ownership and say, I've got the power of choice. I am now grown up. And you need to make your own way. There, that, that, there is something here that's really important for us to understand, that when we come of age, God holds us accountable. Our choices then really matter. When he grew up, Moses mattered in his choice. When he's sitting as a baby on the Nile, no. That was all about the parents. That changed. But he made a choice instead to trust God on this. Another thing that's learned from this, three facts, spiritual apron strings do not work. By the way, spiritually, too many, too many uh, believers really don't transition well from a Christian home into their own faith. Let me just speak to this a bit. This is something where uh, you have lived with mom and dad's faith for so long that you haven't individuated your own faith. And so you are not in a place where you are standing in your own faith. And then when trials that are adultish come into your life, you quickly wither. And you go into why, why? And you try to devise your own ways out and you move away from a life of faith because it never was your life of faith. The apron strings in the home that you were raised with are not the strings that are gonna build your life as you walk with God in this now grown up world. You have to make sure you individuate your own faith. Parent, for you, you need to learn something on this too. You're the apron strings that in the early days were very important to getting them safe and getting them through what you needed to get them through, whether it's a basket on the Nile or whatever. <clears throat> Do the parenting thing. But when it comes to when they stand on their own two feet and, they, and you know, I've got to keep their faith alive. I've got to keep their faith alive. I've got You can't do that 
It's now theirs. They have to make their own choice on faith. They have to become an individuated believer in Jesus Christ. And they need to start living their own journey of faith, which is going to have ups and downs. But the best thing you can do for them is to live within the facts of life around this and that your April's apron strings do not work because they grow up. What if Moses had chosen opposite this? What if Moses had said, I'm sticking with the palace, man. Are you kidding? I'm crazy to let this go. Why would I choose, not, new, not just neutral, why would I choose to actually step into being mistreatment and trials? Why would I do that? See, if he doesn't have in him a core relationship of his own with the Lord, if he doesn't have a passion for the purposes of God in his life, you cannot keep him from that reality or change that reality. And the best thing that we can do with our kids at these ages is to let them individuate in their faith and not try to be the engine of their faith, but the encourager towards faith. This goes into the next fact of life. I can't blame others for my messed up life. This is a fact of life. You can't do this. You can't do this and grow. Look at Moses again. He chose. Did you get the word he? He chose. They chose. You can't look at your life, and this is why our world is so absolutely disconnected from a foundation of responsibility, accountability, and truth is because everybody is now subject to a messed up life because of everybody around them that came before them and every decision of every other human being that rubbed up against them in any kind of wrong way. Whoa, you're gonna say this today, Pastor? Already did, it's too late. So, your life is messed up if it's messed up today by you. You're the chooser, which makes you the loser if you choose that way. Choice is sovereign. It is something that God's economy is, you're responsible for, you're accountable for. It's either gonna go in a good way or it's not gonna go in a good way. Prodigal son chooses in his initial choice, not such a good way. He was somebody, though, that I actually kind of admire over the older son in the story. The younger son individuated. The older son did not until, in fact, he never did as far as we know. So the younger son said, Dad, I'm kind of done with the way like we run things around here. Well, I, I want my inheritance now. And he acts in a way of repudiation to how he's been raised, every value that he has been raised with. He's repudiating in that choice and saying, just give me the money. I'm on the run. I want out. And you'd say, oh, what a horrible choice. Yes, it was not a good choice because he was going to go through now the pain of that kind of thing because God knows how to allow trials. God knows how to use trials to rescue. And if he's going to allow trials, and even when our choices are going to bring about those trials, if it's our choices that do so, that is going to be the point at which God's greatest work is going to be to resurrect the faith in that young man. Can you imagine the father that day when every value he had modeled and mentored and, and operated his business and his home on is being repudiated? And you say, yeah, I sure can because it's happened to me. Why didn't that dad go down to that lost country? Far country and bring back that lost son. Why didn't he go down there and, and say, hey, I'm gonna bring you some more money here. I don't want you eating no pods from this pig style. Come on, here, let's get out of here. We'll get you a fresh apartment. Let's, we'll get you some food, better clothes, you know, in this far country. The hardest choices of parenting is when you... Let them make their choice. I mean, really, let them make 
their choice when they are grown up. Now, when they are grown up and they make that choice, the father just, his heart is broken. There's no question about it. He's got a great heaviness of heart. The son goes off, you know that. And then there's this key phrase after he's partied it all away and he's in a really bad trial. You say, trial? Didn't he just bring that on himself? I'll tell you, God just let the hedge come up. You want to spend it all? I'll hold no reserve on you. You go ahead, you waste it, you do it. You're going to get the end result of it. He ends up eating this, and then he wakes up one morning, and it has this phrase, when he came to his senses. It's a very interesting phrase. It means kind of like this integration of, of learning kind of comes together. You know, body, soul, spirit, the mind, all of it, the emotions is all in this awareness all of a sudden. It's not just foggy. It is crystal clear to him where he's at. And he says, I will return. Out of that clarity, he chose. Not all do. You can be absolutely clear and choose wrong. He chose right. And he returns a changed son from the inside out because he walked his own journey. He went through the trials that came from his own choices and God worked through those trials and he knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. And then we have the most interesting thing happen in this story that changes like the whole math of this. And this is where the Pharisees that are listening to this Jesus is really confronting them because he, he's, see, they are the older brother in this story. And he says to them, like this story, and then he comes home and he's welcomed by his dad. They're going to have a party and they do have a party. They kill the fatted calf, you know, major filet mignon party, top of the line, everybody's cutting loose, the party's going, the older son comes in, he seems to be the responsible one, he stayed home, he, he, just, he just hung out, you know, around dad's farm and kept going, and he had his eye on it all being his one day. And then he learns there's a party for the son that returned. And he knows what that means. He just lost another good chunk of dad's inheritance because he's been brought back in and he won't go into the party the dad comes out reasons with him this, this, this brother of yours he was lost as far as we knew he was dead but he's alive and he's home come on let's party no he was angry what was he really angry about his plan wasn't working out he was, he was messing up, that he was blaming, blaming the dad for, for having a party and saying, you're messing up my life. Now whose life is really messed up? The prodigal who's come back and with a changed life, changed heart? Or is it the son that seemed to be the one on track all of the time, but now all of that ugliness comes to the surface and he's blaming his dad because you messed up my life? No. That son had been messing up his life all through. God knows. God knows how to keep the unrighteous for punishment on the judgment day. See, the fact that God knows, God knows if you're righteous. You might not even have that knowledge that you think, oh, I am, I know, I'm confident. You might have days where you're not even that confident about that, but God knows. And God knows if you're not. And no matter what kind of facade you put on, no matter how you, what kind of makeup you're wearing, it don't matter. He knows. He sees beyond all things. And he knows you. Three facts. Spiritual apron strings do not work. I can't blame others for my messed up life finally. No one, no one can ruin your life, but, but nobody can ruin my life but me. Satan can't even ruin your life. You can't even blame the devil. Do you remember that old comedian from years ago, Flip Wilson? How many know who Flip Wilson? Have you ever heard of Flip Wilson? You're really dating yourself if you do. 
he had a saying like this in his sketches all of the time. It would be like, oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do it. No one can ruin my life but me because response is chosen. In Moses' response to the cruelty that he saw around him, that his family experienced, that his life had been altered by, Moses' response was not to continue to ruin his life because he had been done some things too. He instead chose a response of faith. You might be in a trial right now and it seems to be ruining your life. No, it's not ruining your life. You say, well, you don't know what I'm going through, how heavy the economics are. You don't understand how weighty the relational pressure is or how, how hard my heart is struggling with loss. Or, <clears throat> No, no, you see, we all understand those things because we go through them in different seasons in our life. But here is where your, your, your faith is, needs to be seen is in the response because that is determining the godly part of you or the ungodly part of you. But God knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. Response is chosen. So when you're going through these things right now and they're deep and they hurt and they, they make you maybe furious, not just angry, or, or they make you so sad or whatever it might be, you still have the power of choice. This is a message that needs to come to this current time in this world. You have this sovereign ability to choose, thereby you have a sovereign accountability and responsibility to God. You can choose different. You can be different. God knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. And so nobody can ruin your life but you. Response is chosen. We see this with Moses. <clears throat> His life seems to be ruined. He has lost it all. He's on the run. He's 40 years on the backside of a desert shepherding sheep, and he's fine with the retirement plan. He's grown kind of comfortable in the desert, and God comes along, and he says to him from a burning fiery bush, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground, and he gets down on his face, his sandals are off, and he hears the voice of God talking to him and saying, I want you to go back because now it's time to deliver my people. I've heard their cries. I've heard what's going on. You are now ready and his response was yeah let's get to it I've been waiting for you where you been no his response was absolutely opposite his response was your timing's really bad I don't really want to do this can you imagine that time if his heart was filled with God you've ruined my life God, the Egyptians ruined my life. No, that isn't where he was coming from. He would be obedient. But it wasn't a gung-ho, let's get it done, and him running his plan. That kind of humility made him so dependent on the Lord because he knew he could not do what would need to be done to rescue from Pharaoh. He knew the strength of Pharaoh. He knew the strength of his armies. He knew that there was no way this was going to go easy or well. He knew all of those things. And he said, oh boy, I think wrong address. Kind of send somebody else, would you? Did you know that Jesus prayed a similar prayer? Father, if there be another way. But not my will, yours be done. There was no other way. The Lord knows, and you get to choose and the most important thing you're going to choose about this is about your own faith being yours. Get out of the blaming and excusing game of messing up life and make sure that you understand the power of your choice 
And your response to what you're going through is the key. And that's why we celebrate lives like Job's, where Job stands at the end of his story, doubly blessed by God, but he went through the great dark valley of pain and trial and came out only because of one thing, God's rescue plan. And God received the glory because that's how the whole story started out. All through heaven, God got glory because Job's faith on the earth proved that there was genuine love for God on the planet. That's what your life needs to bring. That's tough faith. But faith is the journey you are called to. You will not understand all of the things. You'll never understand. You'll never understand all the timings or the whys or hows that things, how they come to you. You're not going to understand all of these things. That is not where you're going to find freedom. That's not where you're going to find a great life. That is not where you are going to find the best result of your life or build the best things with your life. It is found in faith. Trusting the Lord knows. The Lord knows. I know in many of your hearts that phrase has gone deep. You've not said it to others about some of the things you've been through. You may have shared it with just a very small circle, but it's that idea of the Lord The Lord knows. Yeah, we're going through this. Nobody else really understands It looks like we're like a Job. Looks like we're guilty of a lot of things. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Trust that. Celebrate it. Be happy about it. Because the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. Would you stand with me, please? Fathers, we bow our heads before you at the end of this message. There's so many uh, depths in our lives that trials go to and things. Our understanding nowhere comes near to matching the depth and the, and the height or the breadth of what we go through in life. We try to come up with some understandings and they sound really pitiful actually, Lord, when we try to bring them into our own understandings and say, well, here's what's going on or here why. Or, oh, Lord, it so falls short. But here's what we do know. The Lord knows. And right now, Lord, for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, that are righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, to those of us that are godly because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not our own perfection, we can have every confidence that the trials that we go through, even the ones by our own choices, You know how to rescue us from our own choices, just like that prodigal. Oh, Lord, wake us up if we're older brothers. Wake us up. Let us see, Lord, how far from you we really are in that kind of position where we only evaluate, you know, you, Lord, through the eyes of what we're going to get. That we don't, Lord, that we would look around and, and, and people that we should be celebrating with and building with and, and, and having faith in and for. We look at them as ruinations of life. Keep us from the older brother, Lord. Challenge our hearts on it. And Father, where, where there's, there's a hopelessness in people's hearts today, but Lord, they know you, but they've lost their confidence. I pray that, Lord, that that would be returned and restored to them just in this very moment, Lord, that they can know for sure the Lord knows. Follow your servant, the Apostle Paul. We know he said this about himself that I don't even know my own heart, but God knows my heart. He doesn't trust his heart. He trusted yours. He trusted that your love and your grace was more than sufficient.
So Father, I ask that you would settle these things into our heart today so that we're strong in the midst of the trials which we have gone through, are going through, and will go through. The Lord knows. I just choose my response. I choose that it's my faith. I blame nobody else. And I understand that's me that ruins my life, nobody else. So I choose a response of faith and trust. The pain, Lord, of what others have done or the pain of what I have done is very severe at times. But Lord, I choose to know that your grace is sufficient. I choose that your love is deeper than my own sin. And with that, Lord, we just say the Lord knows. Now, if you're here today and it's become pretty plain to you that your faith is not your own, you may be on the spiritual apron strings of your wife, your parents. You might be on, the, on, on somebody else's spiritual apron strings. When you grow up, those things don't work. That kind of faith will fade very quickly. You need your own faith. You need to place your trust individually in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Here's a prayer you can pray in the quietness of your own heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you say, today I grew up. I want my own journey of faith with you. I ask you to forgive me my sins. I ask you to sustain my life by your grace. I ask you for mercy that is deeper than any and everything that I have or will face in my life. I confess that I have blamed and excused my life. But today I choose. This is my mess. God heal it. God forgive it. And now, Lord, I realize that my response is more important than understanding everything that goes on in my life. And so I choose faith. Here are my trials. I need you. In your name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.